Hey everyone, Jason Torchinski here. And first, thanks for listening. Second, thanks to our new sponsor, Marble. Marble? We got we got a rock to sponsor our podcast? <laughs> no, David. Marble with a capital M. It's the only all-in-one app for managing your insurance policies and getting rewarded for it. Okay, all right. Well, I have a bunch of cars that I think they're all probably insured, so this could help. Probably not, but Marble's great. It's fast and it's easy to set up as it'll put all of your different insurance policies in one place for you. It's free, which we love around here, being cheapskates, and it will automatically alert you if your rates are going to increase, probably with some kind of really loud sound. Once you set it up, you don't have to do anything as it does it for you, like a robot trained to monitor insurance. And you get marbles, which you can redeem for rewards or use to donate to charity. A marble spewing robot. Whew, that sounds great. How many marbles did you get from it? I got, let's see, two, 900 marbles. Uh, what do you do with that many marbles? I just put them all on a Target gift card. Okay, what'd you do at Target? What'd you get? I got a big uh, crap load of Hot Wheels. I assume for uh, your child? Yeah, yeah, sure, for my child. Mm, okay, well, anyway, um, okay, that sounds good. I like Hot Wheels. Uh, where do I sign up? So you just go to joinmarble.co slash Autopian and you start adding your policies. And not only will you be supporting this podcast, you will also get rewarded just for being a real adult and keeping on top of your insurance. Joinmarble.co slash Autopian, is that right? Yes, David. That's joinmarble.co slash Autopian. This was Bob Dorn. He was chief engineer of Pontiac at the time. And John Chanella, who was chief stylist. I already knew about Chanella from Larry Shinoda. He made fun of uh, how Chanella dressed. And as he dressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a tie. He was stylish. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, this is bar talk now. I've, I've got to move back from this. Uh, we like bar talk. Shinoda, right. Shinoda could be very raucous. Oh, To another episode of the Autopian Podcast. I'm David Tracy. I'm feeling pretty sick today. SEMA, SEMA's got me under the weather. I caught something at SEMA. Um, looks like Torch is still... Um, you don't have to kiss everyone when you greet them, all right? You know, right. a handshake, right. an elbow, you can do this. It's acceptable. You're trying to build relationships with brands. You got exactly. to kiss them. That's true. You don't, you don't build it with a handshake. It's got to be a deep soul kiss. And that's what David brings the... <laughs> It's true. Looks like uh, Torch is still trying out for uh, the next episode of uh, Hoarders there. Looking yeah. good, Torch. It's got to actually be on top of you to be a hoarder, though. You know. Yeah, like you can still walk through there and here. Several we places. Should, we should just do a tour, by the way, Torch, of all the stuff that you have back there. Because I'm fascinated. Everybody talks about it, right? They do. They like it. It puts people at ease. They say, look at that filthy slob. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. It looks like um, Bo is... Um, outclassed my uh, uh picnic blanket or picnic yeah whatever i am yeah. wearing a tie today nice tie yeah thank you you know I've got, i i do actually have a job here and i works and i did a sales meeting and i come straight here they got my next thing so if it's all right with you guys i'm gonna leave the tie on no it's okay 
Well, this is a little because we're recording this earlier in the day than we usually do. Yes. So you're kind of in the middle of the day here, which is why, you know, if you're on the Utopia and you feel like there's not enough articles, that's partially my fault. I apologize. Yeah, I, got, I already got on to torch about that. I was like, what, what have you been David, doing for David's the last week? on my ass about Mercury Monday. And I'm like, David, I'm doing so many other... Mm, David, David. Dude, you can't leave people wanting for a Mercury it's Monday. Coming. The Mercury Monday is going to be here. I had other crap we had to get When done. I All wake right. up in the morning, damn it, I want to know about Mercury's. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, I get it. First thing. On Monday, you're about to go to work and you think, shit, I don't know anything new about Mercury. Why even bother going in? And then that was my to a halt. horrible disappointment this morning. I woke up. I was so excited because I'm like, finally, the weekend's over. It's Monday and I can learn about Mercury's and nothing. I got to do it. I got to do it the night before. That's what this tells me is I got to start doing Mercury Mondays Sunday night. Don't sleep on Mercury Monday. This is important stuff. And you got to do a lot of research for it. And, anyway, and the other uh, reason I wore my tie is our extremely special guest today. True, it's a true. Big deal, a, this guest. Yep, yep. A legendary engineer and builder, yep. someone who's devoted really the last almost seven—I mean, almost seven decades—to just increasing vehicle performance. Yep. Uh, he's an—he's an engine expert. The Turbo uh, King, I've heard him referred to as the Turbo King. You might he have really seen him. A, a household YouTube. name in the automotive community. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you you might have seen some YouTube videos of him. Uh, the, the most famous one is uh, he put a clear cover on a differential so you could see the the oil flow in the in the diff. Uh, that one did like millions of views. Um, yeah. and he has worked. He has helped develop vehicles for the military, uh, for racing applications, for major automakers. When people the, need, and for be- Galpin, I just want to put that out. Oh, oh really? Well, we did the uh, we did the Pantera together. Oh yeah. Oh. That's right. oh. Basically, that when people have problems, when people have vehicle performance, not problems, but challenges. Yeah. They go to this man, Gail Banks, an absolute legend. Gail Banks. Very excited. He's a good guy. This is so let's good. Uh, let's welcome him on. Him on. This is going to be great. The one, the only Gail Banks. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Gail. Yeah. So wonderful to see you. Our <laughs> it's wonderful to be here. Uh, I think the last time we saw each other, we were working on a TV show together called Driven. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you were on our pilot episode. So thank you so much for all your support. And uh, that was so much fun together. Thank you. I just want to mention, I met Gail about 10 years ago, and I drove what might be the lowest horsepower car that's ever been in his shop to his shop in my old Beetle. And it was a treat. And we saw all kinds of amazing things out there, including Gail. I don't know if you remember this. You were working on a car with your kid that used a wheelbarrow for the firewall. Oh yeah, remember that what? thing? Yeah, the Camaro. The Camaro. It was, mm-hmm. if I remember, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it had turbos that were so big the regular flat firewall was didn't have any room for them. So Gail cut a wheelbarrow apart, well, and that's what became the firewall because it was like bold back. Actually, 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 that's a a cool trick. I had to widen the wheelbarrow though. Uh, <laughs> to your point, uh, but that that Camaro '68, um, I wanted it to improve the weight distribution, so I moved the engine back six uh, and down about three. Uh, so you get into the firewall when you do that. I mean, that's how how that works out. It's my son Andrew's '68 Camaro. Um, which is one of these father-son things where he, he's an off uh, 
in Port, he has a business interest in Portland and San Diego. There's an odd couple. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and he just made president of, a, of his company. So, all right, that's pretty cool. So, we haven't been working on the Camaro for a while. So, how long ago was that that you worked on that project? Oh, gosh, eight or 10 years. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. in your shop in 2013, is when I saw it in the old article. I, 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 I want to secretly finish it. Uh, <laughs> well, you got to finish it. <laughs> to say that makes you know. me feel so good. But no if I, if have I, a 10 years ago, not yet finished. Same. Wow. That makes me feel okay, too. The fact I'm that Gail Banks has an unfinished project. Wow. Well, I got a better one. Uh, I call it the V8 house. I've been building a house in Yosemite for more than 20 years. Uh, it's a timber frame uh, without the uh, knee braces and uh, a lot of castings holding it together that say banks on them. And um, it's just been one of those labor of love things, but I got to get it done. So, <laughs> But let's be honest, you probably have a thousand completed projects per one uh, unfinished, whereas Torch, you and I are <laughs> sad. Our well, one project. you know, yeah, I've got a lot of completed projects. It, uh, a lot of them I call products, and, and but but beyond that, um, you know, we we tend to be inventive at banks, and uh, as a consequence, um, we're kind of pushing the art. That's always been my goal. Uh, I'm a futurist. Uh, I'll readily admit it, and I live there. So my head is, is once the product hits the market, then I'm on to, you know, if I can, uh, a new patent. Uh, and I've, I've done real well since I, the government uh, now gives guys over 65, we go to the front of the line. So instead of a patent taking three or four years, my last one, took about 11 months really yeah so I, there's a an age i didn't know this yeah over a patent and you're over 65 you get to jump ahead in line yep wow. that's actually really smart yeah well they want really to smart yeah. they want but they want them to uh you know some guys that are 65 if if it's through through four years uh that's out of their lifetime if you follow me so yeah. it's it's kind of like before this old dude ages out and he's gone, let's give a let's give it to him. You know, get so as much as you've got to have something new to give uh, to get that. And uh, my latest one uh, has to do with um, aftermarket uh, cold air intake products. So, uh, and it all fits into our latest th- theme, which is liberating. Uh, horsepower horsepower uh, that is in the crankshaft. You produced it, and but it doesn't get to the flywheel because it's overcoming pumping losses. Yeah, right. So this is this speaks to engine efficiency. This may uh, you know getting at least ambient air density to the mouth of your turbocharger or supercharger. I kind of chose that. I'm a forced induction guy. That was my first business decision. 
And that happened in 1960. Uh, I'm also an electrical uh, propulsion guy. Uh, and that happened in 1958. Wow. I, I, I built, I got tired of pushing the lawnmower. Mm-hmm. So I, I designed a tractor to pull it and also to take out the trash. Uh, Whoa. Oh, no kidding. Those were my chores. You know, I, I, and I figured if I could sit on the porch and, and have an electric tractor that I radio controlled with a pulse code set up. Uh, what? Well, what the hell? So how old were you when you did this? 16. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So it would send pulses uh, like of given length and number that would give it commands to do things like go forward, go backward, turn, whatever, right? Yep. Wow. <laughs> At so 16 could, years old in 1958, that's I, unfathomable you know, to me. I, I used a World War II land gear, landing gear retracting motor clutch and <laughs> gear reduction uh, out of World War II fighter. Uh, so it's a, it's a 24 volt system uh, wow. in the whole vehicle. And then I used an aileron trim motor to steer it. It was reversible. Yeah. Uh, the motor had a it was two horsepower, 100, 100 pound foot clutch. Uh, and uh, I, re- I further reduced the gearing uh, with a belt drive so that the thing would go about six miles an hour. Uh, <laughs> but. That, there was some sexy stuff in the surplus stores. I and I, it. you know, Blackie's surplus down on Alameda, I used to haunt that place. And another place over in Compton called the Old Gals. I don't, I don't know. Is it, this old gal ran the place. So it was the Old Gals. <laughs> so, you know, you could get all your, uh, they focus on electronics and components and things like that. And then, um, Blackie's, man, he had World War II aircraft engines, including Merlin's and Allison's and what some, some built by Packard, of course, 400 bucks in a crate. Hmm. So uh, I came across a P-38 setup, which had a uh, remote-mounted turbocharger, but the turbocharger was there in the crate with the engine. And I went, what the hell is that? You know, 1958, we weren't talking turbochargers much. And then I started looking into the history of turbocharging. I went, good God, they increased it. GE tested the turbocharger on a kind of World War I airplane engine. Um, Naturally aspirated, you you can't get too high in the sky. So they put put their experimental turbocharged engine on the bed of a truck and took it to Pike's Peak. Uh, Also on the truck was a dynamometer. So they they knew what it produced at sea level without a turbocharger. Uh, they knew what it produced at sea level with a turbocharger. But the altitude compensation with a turbocharger, even in that rudimentary setup, was way better than with a naturally aspirated engine. Oh, by the way, I've run Pikes Peak four times, uh, developing turbochargers 
for the government the first two times right. on, on Paul Dahlenbach's open wheel. Uh, we qualified first two times. Uh, in other words, we had the f- fastest ride on the hill and uh, we, we snapped a 930 Porsche half shaft. Wow. Uh, the first time around. And then the <laughs> second time around, uh, due to some crew chief malfunction, Paul put the damn thing in the trees on the end of the first straightaway. So, so, so Gail, I'm just kind of curious because you were telling us stories about uh, your army surplus and the incredible things you found there. But what's the? How did you get to be mechanical in the first place? What got you interested in there? Because it sounds like you just always have had a a talent for this. Yeah, yeah. My dad was uh, uh, motor pool. Uh, I think it's Osaka Air Base. Uh, he uh, was a tech sergeant in World War II. And um, so he was in charge of everything there in the occupation force. Uh, all the vehicles, every, everything that didn't fly, fly was his, you know. Hmm. And he got a lot of rides and some real hot rod aircraft as well. Our stuff, of course and some of the captured aircraft. So he came home, uh, not a wealthy man, uh, but he was very capable. And uh, in 1956 through 1950, late 57, we went to Crestline every weekend every holiday, uh, uh, and we built a house. So the first time, it was kind of a serious project, if you will. Uh, But if a car broke down uh, or anything else, he knew how to fix it. And I, I, just being around him, he wasn't a successful businessman. He ended up being... uh, in the class of 49 LAPD, uh, and he became an LA policeman at a very, very cool time because LAPD was kind of mobbed up. And, and uh, the, the guy, he, one of the guys uh, became chief out of his class and they cleaned it up. So, fantastic. yeah. Quite fantastic. So it was at home. That's where you got the, uh, from, and from dad. So did he? Yeah, did yeah. I, I mean, we, we worked in the garage. That's where I built the uh, the robot tractor. And, and um, <laughs> do pictures of that exist by any chance? I uh, just got a picture of, of, of me with the tractor out of the Linwood Press uh, newspaper. Yeah. Uh, I did manage to win the, dis- the district and then the county science fair with it. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine so too. That's I also right. miscalculated the gearing uh, on my belt drive section, and uh, it was a 30 mile an hour. I, I was off <laughs> by an order of magnitude. <laughs> you have a 30 mile an hour lawnmower uh, for a while? <laughs> I mean, that thing just left. <laughs> First time I gave it the go command, it was gone. <laughs> I gave it the stop command real quick. 
but so my point being, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up uh, in Linwood. Uh, I was also around a lot of racy guys. Uh, and Big Daddy and, Roth out there. My first shop, my first commercial shop was next door to, on the alley, in a two-car garage, the former Elmer's lawnmower shop. And it was, you know, a 40 buck a month rental. Uh, diagonally across the street was George Barris. And I, you know. Fantastic. This is, yeah, Another oh, old friend. You, oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, everybody worked there. Uh, and, and a lot of them went on to Jeffries and yeah. Junior and, you know, to be their own uh, enterprise. Uh, I had no idea you were right there with George. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. I used to hang over there, especially when he did Jane Mansfield's Cadillac. Wow. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, my God. You know, I, I never saw her, unfortunately. Oh, well. I thought I might, so I hung over there more than I should. <laughs> Smart. In fact, I was, at, I was at a deal at your place uh, where his, um, some of his children and grandchildren were there, and they asked me if, if I would help him with George's history. <laughs> yeah. It never happened. I never did it, but that was cool. Also, right next door to my little shop, um, which I called CP Auto Marine for Cal Poly Auto Marine. And I built Bronco Power racing engines and it was my school money business. Uh, that's how I, you know, my old man didn't have tuition money for me. So I, I, I kind of took a year off. I graduated in high school in 60, took a year off and built up uh, school money. So I've sold my first engine in 58. Uh, it was a uh, trying to think of the guy who, who worked for uh, Miller, uh, the designer, the uh, Dane uh, engine draftsman, uh, Leo Guzan. Leo Guzan. Uh, I'm a huge Leo Guzan fan. Uh, he worked for uh, Harry Miller was winning Indy with his straight eights in, in the late 20s, uh, who did the Miller front drive, the Miller 91. Oh, yeah. Which was incredibly successful. You wouldn't think a front drive, uh, but it was. Uh, I think they ran some board tracks with it, Beverly Hills, Culver City, wherever. Um, you can tell I'm an old guy, can't you? <laughs> so, <you're telling> me. <laughs> so experience experience so in the late 50s so in the late harry 50s. miller was i'm a harry miller fan to this day uh he he developed engines for everything from gold cup boats to aircraft and one indy you know and kind of led there were, we had five indy car builders here in la uh through the 50s, maybe into the 60s. But the first, the first engine uh, I did and sold was a Studebaker V8. Um, and Leo Guzan had done, uh, I think the Agajanian money was in, in it. This is, um, 
5758, uh, I did this engine. Uh, a, a guy who had won Indy, I think 56 and 57, George Sally, uh, lived, he built his, his Indy car at home, uh, did the first, uh, to my knowledge, the first laydown uh, setup other than Cummins back in 52. Uh, he built his own car at home, built his own engine based on an offie. What, what out of his office? garage, out of his garage, two years in a row, he wins Indy. Wow, that's unfathomable. He had <laughs> some of these castings. <laughs> he had the uh, uh, casting set, some of them machined. Um, where he got this stuff, I don't know. For the Studebaker project, which was a double overhead cam Studi V8 uh, that made about 270 horsepower on alcohol. Uh, although they were running gasoline there. I don't know the gasoline horsepower number, um, but they ran it on Alki and it made 270, which was quite impressive. Um, I got those junk parts from the program from George Sally. Uh, I also got his wrist, wrist pin home. When he died, he uh, kind of gifted me with that uh, in his will. So anyhow, the indie, guy, the indie guys drove, drove me nuts. I mean, you got five car builders here. Uh, Curtis got into boats as well, and I'm a boat guy. And my first supercharged engine was uh, Nailhead Buick for Big Bear, you know, altitude boat. Uh, so the only thing I haven't done in my career is airplanes. Ironically, I've stayed away from it. Uh, although to get rides, I wash planes at Compton Airport. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I thought, ooh, I want to get involved in this. But somehow the boat thing took, took off for me. And um, the cool thing was the California speed, uh, ski boat deal, uh, hot boats were inboard V drive. We didn't have any jet boats. Uh, and everybody was, built, was building a boat, uh, Arrowhead, Big Bear, go to uh, Catalina, all this jive. And I, so I kind of, once I did that, uh, Jimmy Blown Buick uh, for uh, Big Bear, I kind of realized that belt-driven Roots superchargers weren't too efficient and very parasitic. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're driving some, something that heats the air as, my, as much as it makes pressure uh, off, the off the crankshaft. So I had discovered the turbocharger thing down at Blackie's. I started looking for where can I get turbochargers? Uh, so there was this guy, Hugh McInnes, um, he was the chief engineer of the TRW turbo program uh, that fed uh, uh, the uh, turbocharged Corvair Spider uh, oh, yeah. in the mid-60s. Mid, uh, that was kind of the first production turbocharged car you could 
really by, wasn't it? The Corvair, the Monza. Uh, I think I think American. Oles beat them with uh, F eighty five, whatever they called that thing. Okay. You, you'll like this. Uh, it, it was injected with, with what Hugh McGinnis called tuba juice. <laughs> but it was wa water meth injected. <laughs> so you oh. bought this. Yeah, that was part of its demise because it wasn't accurately water meth injected. Mm. So it didn't always work. And when it ran out, you ran out of octane, so to speak, and killed the there's a little Oles uh, aluminum V8, uh, yeah. which was used in some Formula One efforts here in California back in the day. Um, so you got this boat thing going on, and the engine's exposed. There used to be this huge th thing in the engine swap thing where guys would do billet pieces. Billet was a big deal. Well, it happened 20 years before that in boats. If you're into boats, you saw billet, billet uh, pieces in the 60s. So, you so know. What were, what were they making out of billet? Uh, engine mounting systems, throttle brackets, uh, God, you name it. Thrust resistant? Is that what the thinking was? Like, why would you choose uh, just lightness? Like, what was the reasoning behind that? Well, it is beautiful. Sex. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sexy. Yeah. And beautiful and extremely expensive. And it's technical, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And everybody wanted to outdo everybody else. The other thing about turbocharged. Why would it have started on boats instead of cars, by the way? That seems ironic. Well, coming from a car guy, of course, I'm wondering that. But why do you think it started on boats and not, not cars? Because that was. Yeah, is it, was it just the. Well, my, I didn't own a boat personally. Uh -huh. uh, I, I just did boat engines, uh, you know, uh, but I did hot rod my mom's. God, I did this when I was like 12. My, <laughs> of course, my, mom's, my mom's 31 Ford blew a head gasket. And my dad said, uh, you, you fix it. So. Gosh, I got to get my 13-year-old uh, to start fixing things for me. That's well, uh, boy, a boy. Go for that, Bo. Go for that. <laughs> I got to teach him a few Encourage things Encourage the hell out of that. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So, so you know, uh, it took me a while to, to get it running again because I didn't just do the head gasket. Uh, it used to be a, a place called Ford Parts Obsolete. Uh, yeah, Ford Parts Obsolete. Uh Florence and something. Goodyear had a big blimp hang hanger uh, adjacent to it, and I got I I got a Riley a four port Riley overhead valve conversion for it. Um, a couple of Winfield downdraft single barrel carburetors, uh, a Wyco mag off of a tractor that I geared into the into the timing gear. Um, Built my own header. That was my first header. Uh, Wait, this is all you were 12 years old at this time? You can yeah, weld? You can I, weld at 12? I, I pulled a lot of weeds and mowed a lot of lawns for that money. God. But I, 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 I was in love with Harry Miller. He also did uh, racing carburetors. Um, and as a consequence, 
I was in love with everything, everything that was done up to World War II. Mm-hmm. And the guys were running that stuff at the lakes right after World War II. And I, you know, I'm a kid. Uh, guys are building hot rods in my neighborhood, you know, and going to El Mirage or Miroc at the time. Uh, you can't, can't run there anymore because it's now Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, wow. And then Wally Parks and a guy named Peterson and a marketing guy who had a good car <laughs> uh, that could get him there went up to Utah and got permission from, from the state to establish a speed trial uh, at the Bonneville Salt Flats. Right. So, I mean, I'm a kid. I'm, I'm, <laughs> there's no internet. Yeah. But there is networking and driving around and hanging out at Harvey's Broiler and other drive-ins uh, over in the west side and comparing notes. So, you know, I took that, I took that 40 horsepower Model A that turned 2200 RPM to 105 horsepower. Wow. Holy crap. Without a turbocharger or a supercharger. How? What did you do? <laughs> well, it's all, always they're structural, uh, thermal, and air density. It, in other words, you got to get the densest prop possible air into the cylinder. Hmm. The engine pumps cubic feet per minute. Right. The density in the cylinder uh, determines the horsepower. In other so words, without a turbo, it, how are you increasing that density? Without a turbo? Yeah. Uh, converting the, the intake valves to overhead valves, oh. uh, two per cylinder. Uh, that helped a lot. It, 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 doing the header, I met Ed Iskandarian. He's 101 years old. and he's, God bless him. He's been my mentor. Bo, <laughs> you you talk with Isky from time to time, or Alex sure. Didius. Those yeah. guys, those two guys, are, have been my mentor virtually all my professional life. Wow, and they're still with us. God bless them at over a hundred oh, years my old. God, wow, those guys are golden. <laughs> they're golden. I didn't sure. see I didn't see Isky at SEMA this year, but he was probably there. His daughter has taken over you know, ferrying him around. Yeah. But, uh, so did the Model A, used a Model B block to get pressure oiling, a Model C crank to get counterweights. Uh, uh, I chopped the flywheel to get throttle response down to so thin you could read through it. And, uh, and, and big three-spring Auburn clutch and a Ruxtel two-speed rear end. And is anybody smiling yet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're an old guy like me, that, that gets you going. Yeah, it's and, amazing. And Durant's connecting rods, John's pistons. I mean, Grant rings, as I recall. Uh, maybe somebody else's. Might have been perfect circle. But nonetheless... Uh, oh, a 39 Ford gearbox, which had synchro in second and third, uh, uh, which was a big, big deal. So yeah. do you remember, do you remember where all of like what percentage of the parts in your builds over the years 
do you remember? Like you clearly remember the source of a lot of the parts. I Is remember. That... I remember all of them. All of them. If it's a serious wow. project, if it's a customer thing, I where I'm developing something for a customer, I remember the, the uh, innovative things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't remember to this detail. I, I just love all the things that you're describing about a car you did when you were 12. I literally can't remember anything significant I did at 12, 13, and probably any <laughs> of my youth, to be honest no. with you. And I, to hear the amount of work and honestly genius that went into a what, yeah. Model A or Model T, did you say? Model A. Model A, 31. At uh, at 12 years old, it just it blows my mind. I, I'm just I'm sitting here like, like now. now I know why you're in the chair that you're in. It started, I mean, it's it's in your DNA. It's genius, I have to say. I can't, yeah. I'm flabbergasted. Uh, yeah. it, it kind of flows from my dad, but I had two uncles. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, so one of them, uh, when I was a kid, he was the this big bank downtown, Union Bank, uh, and he was the chief teller at Union Bank and uh, went on uh, to be, um, they had a, uh, the formation of SEMA, and my uncle Lee, this is a guy I'm talking about, um, he went uh, to what was called the Southern California Credit Managers of association uh, as a guy people would go creditors would go to this outfit uh, trying to force people into bankruptcy or or uh, advise them on how they couldn't uh, how how they could improve their business uh, which is the best thing for creditors uh, SEMA started for two reasons. The biggest one was a guy would go to Jack Engel for camshafts, have his little speed shop in Kansas somewhere, uh, get an open account with Jack Engel, uh, use him up to where Jack would not give him another camshaft on credit. Then he'd go to somebody like Isky. And uh, Isky, same thing. These guys knew of each other, but they weren't, they're competitors and they they weren't meeting with each other regularly. So one day, uh, a couple of them did at some event or car show and they they realized these guys are cheating us out of a product and then moving to the next guy. (laughs) We, We need to form an association also it was these com- companies making model cars and using their logos on the cars without permission. The oh, SEMA was starting so, to deal with deadbeats, basically. To deal with debtors yeah. that were scamming them. And yeah. um, Ed Iskandarian was the first pre- president. Uh, by then, I had a, a speed shop in San Gabriel. Uh, and, you know, uh, in 67, I... In 67, I moved, moved from an engine building business and uh, a car, you know, do rigging cars and boats to a, a full-on California speed shop in San Gabriel. Uh, and my uncle, you know, SEMA started across the street on San Gabriel Boulevard down a little bit. Uh, and um, 
the I couldn't afford the dues to SEMA, so I, I wasn't a member for a, a number of years. Uh, but when I Isky wouldn't give you a break, huh? How's that? Isky wouldn't give you a break, huh? Wouldn't give you a discount. I didn't try that. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. I was trying to get him to sponsor me. <laughs> right on. You want you want to talk about you go to the Isky's? Huh. Uh, my first time down there, he had moved his shop. He had all these one-man Cadillacs lined up next to the building. There must have been seven or eight of them. And by one-man Cadillacs, Iski acquires stuff. And he puts some of it in his car. Uh, And pretty, pretty soon, there's so much of it in his car, it's a one-man car. Nobody else can sit in there. And, and then, when, then when he buys a new car, he just park the car, leave all the stuff in the car. Unbelievable. Uh, so it's a quirk with, it, with this guy. His office is the same way. So I, I go down there. This must have been 1960 or so. I remember this. I, I was building a Studebaker for, the, for, for El Mirage, a 53 Raymond Lowy Starlight Coupe. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, I'm a disciple of Raymond Lowy. Yep. He, was for, he, he designed typewriters. The Coke, Coke bottle. The Coke the bottle. bottle. Yeah. The 53 Studebaker and, uh, and was, was involved... Uh, uh, with the Avanti, yeah, um, that's right. So, which was also a supercharged car, right? That was uh, that was the Avanti engine. Was the was it the same supercharged Studebaker engine? Yeah, with the McCullough, uh, but before it was Paxton uh, right. McCullough supercharger, uh, centrifugal, um, and the, the, that's another story. But uh, anyhow, uh, Isky. I get there about eight in the morning. He's there. Uh, he comes to the front counter uh, and I tell him I'm, I'm going to be running this Studebaker and, uh, you know, I'm selling your camshafts and uh, I'd like to, I'd like to run your stuff. Can you help me out? He says, Good, come to my office. I go in his office uh, in the hallway. There's a wanted poster that says, notice tonight, watchman, do not shoot this man. He's Lothar Iskandarian. He lives in the trailer in the back lot. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody wow. there had a, a sense of humor. I go into his office and gra- gravity, he was defying gravity in his office. This uh, stuff was like three feet deep and it went up the walls. Uh, There was was this aquarium aquarium with like two inches of water in it, dead fish. Uh, You know, I didn't know how long that thing had been there. Not a nice smell. (laughs) And and he makes me sit in his office for four hours until lunchtime. Uh, He's making calls. He's this, he's that. Then he'll talk to me a little bit. 
oh god it was amazing and finally he goes so tell me what you need and he 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 became my first racing sponsor right fantastic (laughs) it was so cool so i i I do have an important question to ask you because we started off you were talking about being a futurist and living in the future yeah And, and since we're talking about SEMA right now i'm really curious from your point of view because you know, over the years, you know, SEMA has been the show to go to, and then the pandemic hit, kind of wiped everybody out. Now it's trying to restart. But there's, you know, SEMA's kind of, you know, there's some empty spaces. Famously, Ford and GM didn't show up this year, which to me was horrible. But in your opinion, what's the future of SEMA? Okay. Who's the president of SEMA now? Mike? Do you know? I, I, this is how embarrassing it is. I don't. Oh, okay. Chris, <laughs> yeah, Chris so Chris. It was Chris last time I knew, but I don't know who. Chris has there. retired. Yeah. So I'm a believer in SEMA. I, I, I've been on the board of SEMA. Sure. Uh, I think it's a remarkable institution. Uh, we used to go to SEMA. Um, once I became a manufacturer, we would go to SEMA to book orders for the next year. Mm-hmm. We'd set up like mini offices uh, in your display booth to sit down with your customers and write the first 90 days of the next year, uh, give, them, give them delayed billing. There was all the stuff that happened, negotiations that happened at SEMA. Uh, so distribution is changing. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to ask Lightning to do something for me. I can't remember. Who's the president of the Mike Spagnola. Spagnola. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, I've known him since he was about 12. Mike Spagnola arrived at, at my speed shop in San Gabriel the first time on a bicycle. Wow. He didn't even drive. Amazing. And he peered through the front window. And now he's this is president of the SEMA. Well, glad to this I got to tell you, uh, you guys, uh, everybody knows about SEMA. Uh, to me, it's become a wonderful gathering of gearheads and people showing off outrageous vehicles. You know, we just had one, one uh, last year uh, that laid frame. In other words, a 66 Chevy truck that was so rusted out, we named it Lockjaw. And we left it rusted out and just put this skin over over this beautiful roadster shop chassis. And I did a blown supercharged uh, Duramax V8, which is sick and wrong. Uh, (laughs) But it's big ass Whipple screw supercharger, all of that. You're right, Bo, when you say that yeah, Chevy pulled out, but Stellantis it, is there, and you're right in saying that Ford pulled out, but Toyota with racy stuff. My and God. Volkswagen was there, and uh, yeah, there you go. Fox, I mean, right? and and, yeah. and and Stellantis showed their BMW beating inline three liter six that makes 550 horsepower out of the box. Hmm. You know, these guys are efficiency. 
is the name of the game. I learned that that first time I did an endurance race. Um, and we used to run the Parker nine hour in the Colorado River. You ever hear of it? It's a nine hour boat race. Okay. So if you could pit less than the other guys, that, that was track position. Uh, and it was a 13 mile course uh, uh, up and down the river. Uh, so first time we ran, we, we broke a crankshaft. Second time we ran, we were first inboard boat. And we did it a few more times. How the hell did we do that? I didn't have the most horsepower. But I think I had really good fuel efficiency. Earlier, I was talking about removing pumping losses and liberating that horsepower. If you do that, uh, you make more horsepower on the same fuel. Or uh, you can turn down the fuel and make the same horsepower. Well, the whole point of that is I'm on a quest to... You know, the OEMs always have a budget, always have a, that, that'll do the job mentality, or it's uh, too, too expensive to do that. It won't be a commercially priced engine or whatever. There's lots, lots of stuff there. Well, I thrive in the aftermarket. We're also an engine, a tier one engine supplier. Uh, I, I get all of it, uh, and, and I, I got to tell you, uh, SEMA is a place to showcase it because the press is there. SEMA is also a place to show it to your dist distribution, the warehouse distributors. But what's happening, Bo, to your point, I think your point was, warehouse distribution is going away. Uh, the internet I will tell you this, 80% um, of my business, I started retail and 80% 80, 80 of my business is once again retail. Now, it's so many years ago, it was 8%, wow. 9%, 10%. Now, it's over 80%. Wow. Uh, it's a, uh, from, from a commercial sense, it's wonderful because you know every one of your customers customers. Everybody, everybody who, who orders on the web from us gets a phone call thanking you and, and getting to know them. And now, you know, customers who like your stuff, uh, think it's good value, man. And then having a marketing genius uh, like Jay Lightning Tillis. <laughs> <laughs> Who in Los Angeles, by the way, we're talking about hey, quite, quite I'm, famous I'm, for uh, being on K-Rock Radio for Here's Jay right here. Hi, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Lightning ask fast. me questions. Wait, like, wait. Torch had some we, weird uh, questions, too, he wanted to ask. And I, I'm curious about what's happening today as well and well, the future. Right. Where are we today? Is, 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 uh, you know, once again, being a futurist, uh, I... I I studied at Cal Poly, what we used to call electrical engineering. Uh, and I have four years of 
vacuum tube theory and, and electronics in high school, I, uh, along with four years of drafting, which has helped me uh, uh, quite a bit. But it's the electronics there. It's the electronics at Cal Poly. Uh, it's the night classes I took at UCLA because they had this bitchin' computer lab uh, and bunch punch card machines, if you could. Oh, yeah. uh, and um, I learned how to program with jumpers, you know, if statements and do loops and all the yep. computational jive. So yep. here I am today, and uh, I've got a customer, and the customer is the U.S. Army. Uh, and we're going to green the army. Uh, how we how we doing that? Uh, well, first of all, by keeping them in the ice engine business, because there's a lot of countries in this world uh, that don't have uh, electrical distribution infrastructure. Right. So you can't eliminate the ice engine. Right but you can hybridize them. So somehow, I think we're on point. Uh, the Army has a research and development operation um, and we're doing a series hybrid program uh, with one type of vehicle and we're doing, with wheeled vehicles, we're doing a parallel hybrid program, which is a, a plug-in um, P2 uh, setup where we can declutch the ice and run pure electric, or we can run pure ice, or we can run a combination of the two, and we can, ex we we can export massive amounts of power for future weaponry. So uh, is that P2 system built into the transmission? Yeah, I'm running an eight-speed. Uh, okay. I, I find that uh, the more splits... You know, the motor generator units, if, if you're Tesla and you're running a, a single gear setup, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they're radical out, out of the hole. Uh, a few years ago, I was bored on Christmas Day and I went over to Leno's thinking he might be at his shop and he was, he was all alone. Uh, and he was bringing out the Chrysler turbine car to, to take Mavis for a Christmas Day ride. Um, <laughs> so I hung with him. And he's cleaning the white walls and checking the brake fluid. I mean, literally doing this stuff. <laughs> and he says, hey, you ever uh, have a ride in a Tesla? I said, no. He says, well, let's go for a ride. We get out on the street, uh, the main drag, and he says, put your head against the headrest. I looked at him. I said, oh, bullshit, Jay. <laughs> he says, put your head against the headrest and shut the hell up. <laughs> so I put my head against the headrest. He nails it. My feet come off the floor. God. <laughs> I mean, literally. I, I'm... I'm you know, they daylighted an eighth of an inch. I just, I just went, wow, what a rush. Uh, so, uh, 
Gail, can I really I ask you the, about the, a couple? The electric vehicle for the armed forces but also makes sense. Uh, what? It only makes sense if it's a hybrid. So yeah. the programs I'm doing, especially the P2, uh, we're doing, it's a, it's a battery electric vehicle that we have a self-charging system, you know. Uh, the, the, the bottom line is you, when you do a parallel hybrid, all these technologies have, have to talk to each other. So we developed a new uh, ECU uh, with Bosch for the engine, which is uh, called an M, what the hell do they call it? An MD1. It's a new diesel uh, ECU platform. And also now currently we're, we're working with Bosch on the VCU, the vehicle control unit, which is the master. The vehicle control unit runs all the battery electric. It also runs the engine. Uh, you give it a command, and if you're in hybrid, uh, it's making all the decisions. So you've written the firmware, you've written the software, uh, and now you're doing the calibration. And then some some poor private's going to have to figure out in the motor pool is going to have to figure out how to how to fix this program it. You know, I approached the army. Um, uh, check that. I approached the navy. My my first engine sales uh, for defense were to the navy in 1976, uh, and those guys have been my customer uh, ever since. Uh, the navy in certain um, combat, well, I might, I might get toasted for this, but special warfare combat, combatant craft, that was easy to say, uh, are running a Cummins diesel that's modeled after a Cummins in a Dakota that I ran at Bonneville some years back. And then the Navy called and said, Jesus, that's exactly what we want for these boats. Perfect. We're getting, get, getting rid of the big block Chevys. Uh, and we want your, your engine for the boats. Can, can you do a Marine version of it? And we did. Uh, it's about 20 years, exactly 20 years ago. Uh, so, they're all over the world now, uh, those cool. engines. And we chose not to manufacture them because uh, I was doing this Duramax thing with GM, uh, which to this, to this day, I'm uh, a significant engine customer of GM. Uh, they put the bank's components, the lower crankcase and oil pan and other things uh, on the engines at D-Max in Moraine, Ohio, and ship them to us. And we finish them uh, and we ship them to the Army uh, for the Joint Light Tactical Vehicle Program. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. What, what makes an engine different for Marine use, for example? Ah, 
Like, you know, I I drift a lot. I'm sorry about that. It's okay. Uh, so all interesting. Endurance, endurance. The program I did for the Navy, they 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 have a what they call a NATO test, a 400 hour test uh, for land vehicles. Uh, they're going to be military. Uh, and it's a uniform test procedure, hence NATO. Uh, and it's brutal. Uh, you do 400 hours, 85% of that is at wide open throttle. So that's uh, the big difference. So like a marine engine just needs to be able to go all out for longer periods of time. Yes. Huh. It has to cool properly. I, I said earlier, thermal and, yeah. and structural. Right. Uh, with the Cummins program, we lifted the deck off the block at about 270 hours. And we had to, we worked through the, the block design until they made 50 blocks out of uh, uh, CGI uh, iron. Yeah. And uh, we finally got, the Navy wanted 800 hours, a double NATO. So, oh, man. Uh, it sounds punishing. Anyhow, yeah. uh, it, so Gail, it, got Cummins, um, it got Cummins into CGI. So, uh, Gail, is, it, is this the Cummins uh, build you were referring to? The Dakota? Yeah. So, yeah. This, so this engine that you developed for this ended up being the basis for a, a special warfare um, uh, vehicle for the Navy? Well, you said it. All right. <laughs> I didn't say it. I just want to point out in this presentation, there's uh, it ends with, or what, what was it, this one? I think it oh. ends with, yes, look at this, giant burnout. <laughs> I love that. Like, this is the most important slide. On, on the <laughs> it really like, is. <laughs> it's like, okay, this engine works very well, clearly. Is this yeah, a, a, wow. Oh, like oh Enzo and Bank Sidewinder. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, Damn. Since we're looking at those Fantastic. two cars, if, if you can leave, leave that on screen for a second. Sure. Um, 2003 DEER. That's Diesel Engine Emissions Reduction, Newport, Rhode Island. <laughs> the, this was, uh, I think this document was done by the federal government, uh, the, the, the Department of Energy. Wait, wait uh, so you're selling me that the Department of Energy decided to include this slide? The <laughs> hey, they're cooler uh, than I thought. Uh, <laughs> the were. previous slide, uh, the Department of Energy put it, where's the, the well, well, one thing I can point out to you, the truck is faster than the Enzo. Uh, red, though. <laughs> and the truck could tow the Enzo to Bonneville. <laughs> <laughs> blow it off and tow it home and beat it in a race even while it's there yes wow. and go faster. and listen to tunes as well as i look at this chart we yeah. towed it the the engine was a bit uh in the cab and you might notice yeah you really hacked that firewall that, that oh, trans yeah. tunnel there oh yeah great. but we've got great fabricators here were the chips uh, part of the final design that are on there? Well, we moved the instrument. You couldn't tell this had happened uh, inside the cab. Uh, I don't think there's probably not a picture inside. 
No, I don't think there's an interior. See, I, I use an extended cab. Uh, when we did the um, uh, Cyclone nice. program with GMC, I built this truck to beat the Cyclone record, which was, I think, I think our best one way was right at 210 with the Cyclone. I did two years at Bonneville uh, managing the uh, Cyclone program. Uh, which became a production truck. Wait, that that GMC uh, Cyclone? You, yeah, you you helped develop that from the start. Well, you know this this guy John Rock took over uh, GMC mid eighties, and uh, he he had a couple of problems with GMC. Uh, one was yeah. the diesel diesel engine. Uh, here you go. I, I don't know. This is a pr- production truck wiki. Uh, this this pre- predates the production truck. The, the okay. production tr- truck flowed from our Bonneville program, as did NHRA pro stock trucks. That also. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. and this even goes back to when you were developed, you developed in part the GNX project for Buick working for GM also, right? Back in the day. I did I did the pro, pro, prototype. I'm stumbling over this one. I did did the prototype for um, uh, Buick. Lloyd Royce was like I think the chief engineer at the time. And Mark uh, Royce's dad, right? Yes. Yeah. This those, is are, those are two. Those are two good friends of mine. Hmm. Uh, right on. Lloyd is doing the, the education thing, man. Lloyd's a guy. He he he's a guy. I mean, <laughs> we could do a whole show on Lloyd Royce. So, uh, Hot Rod covered my Buick project. Uh, I think it was double truck. Uh, they shot the the uh, cover for Hot Rod magazine with two Buicks and me with mine and the, the twin turbo V6, which was 454 horsepower uh, that was in that prototype. And Daryl Waltrip's Gatorade at NASCAR ride with Junior Johnson. So that's how I met Junior Johnson. Oh my wow. God, what a NASCAR what legend. What year would this so, be? How's that? What year would this have been? 81, 80. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, Hot Rod Magazine, uh, they chickened out on the cover. We, sh- we shot it in, in their photo studio. They're on Sunset. What the old Peterson. Yeah. There yeah, was, yeah. The, the, was like a barn next door. You went down the driveway, and I mean down the driveway, very steep, and turned left into the photo studio, which Anyhow, uh, back to, to uh, John Rock. He said, I got two problems. Uh, first one in, involves our diesel pickups and Suburbans, um, which they had come out, they came out with, with a new engine, uh, a 6.2 liter diesel, uh, and made the first serious diesel pickup in the United States. Uh, and it, 
I had a Pontiac deal going. Uh, oh God, this is this is so deep. Uh, <laughs> I had uh, gone uh, uh, 240 with a turbocharged big block and a 68 Corvette at Bonneville. Uh, Pontiac called me and said, we're coming out with a new uh, Firebird in 82. Uh, if you put your powertrain out of that Corvette in the Firebird, uh, we think you'll pick up about 20 miles an hour. <laughs> and this was Bob Dorn. He was chief engineer of Pontiac at the time. And John Chanella, who was chief stylist. Um, I already knew, knew about Chanella from Larry Shinoda. Yeah. Uh, Larry and I were, were great friends and, and, until he passed. Um, he made fun of uh, how Chanella dressed. Um, and as dressed, yeah, yeah. I mean, his attire, he was stylish. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, this is bar talk now. I've, I've got to move back from this. Uh, we like bar talk. Shinoda, Shinoda could be very raucous. Oh, god. Oh, my god. So, the, these two guys are on the phone. Um, and they want, want me to uh, put my powertrain in there and go 260. Right. Uh, the, by the way, uh, we at, at that time um, held the first fa fastest uh, street legal record with, with, with that Corvette. Uh, prior to that, I put a road race engine uh, that I had done in oh, the 70s uh, into a Geisler's 53 Studebaker, and we went 217 with that. So that became the world's fastest door slammer. Then the, the Corvette, and then they gave me a pre-production uh, no VIN number, uh, 82 Firebird, Pontiac did, uh, and we rigged it and and. Uh, went to Bonneville, and uh, lo and behold, our two-way average was two sixty. Wow. That's what's that's what's behind Remember you there. That? Yeah, I, I had two fifty on the the door. Uh, that was my goal. We went two sixty, and they were right. Good of, estimate. Wow. I heard you know. a quote from you about why you didn't go to three hundred. Later, we did try for three. Oh, you did try. Yeah, I got some sponsorship money from Budweiser. We painted it Budweiser red, and um, uh, we our front uh, our, our tire our tires were the issue on that one. Um, we had the power to go three hundred. Uh, you, you've heard this before. Uh, somebody telling you, "Hey, I had the power to go three hundred, but uh, yeah. well, in this case, I sent the tires." I, the fronts, which were Mickey Thompson Bonneville tires, to Smithers uh, Scientific and Akron to have a spun test. And I sent the rears. We, I, I had the theory that all, uh, Bonneville is a long drag race. Most of, most of the guys with power are, are in wheel spin for the first couple of miles. Wow. 
So I got some Charlotte and some Talladega tires, the two, two different diameters uh, from, was it Goodyear or Firestone? I think it was Goodyear. And um, sent them to Smithers as well. And I wanted to spin test it, both of the fronts and the rears to 330. Give me a 10% oh, headroom. And um, the the NASCAR tires, uh, even though one, one of them threw the tread at about 310, it went to 330 on the cords. Wow. Uh, I thought, man, the structure of those tires, woo, good stuff. Uh, so I, I did, this is a 1,000-pound a, a load on a 10-foot diameter roller. So the, the pressure wave... Uh, in front of the tire uh, is not there. Yeah. When the, you know, you got a five foot radius versus what, what's the diameter of the earth? 8,000 miles. In other words, call it flat. Uh, so I felt okay there. I got hinky on the front tires because we fragged one at 281 okay. and the second one at 283. And then the, the Smithers guy said, I'm not testing any more tires for you, Banks, because you're destroying our test picture with these freaking tires. Um, so we even tried some aircraft tires. Uh, that didn't pan out. Uh, so I held that. I told Stringfellow, who was my driver, Don Stringfellow, I said, String, 280s your limit. It's going to be this RPM on the tank and on the tack in fifth gear. Do not exceed that RP, that RPM. No matter how much the people from Pontiac marketed marketing was on the salt. Yeah. And I said, if they start screaming at you about not going 300, just tell them Banks does not want to kill me. they didn't take that joke too kindly but uh so john rock uh we uh we kind of here's a guy i think i think he had ran olds before and then a woman took over olds he retired uh they brought him back to run gmc the big problem with gmc was the diesel engine program this would be about 1984, 85. Uh, Ford came out with a 6.9 diesel in 83 and proceeded to hand uh, whoever was running GM, hand him his hat. Uh, they took the marketplace. You, you're smiling because you're a Ford guy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry. Why that silly? <laughs> off your face, Bob. Uh, so, <laughs> anyhow. Yeah, uh, we got to take our wins when we get them. Well. I get this call from Rock, and he said, you've been turboing our trucks since late 81. I don't feel you in my warranty expense. You must have be, be doing something right with that turbo setup. I said, well, yeah, I'm an endurance engine guy. Uh, I, I I, I like it. Uh, anything I do, tuning or otherwise, uh, for trucks or cars or what have you, uh, being a futurist, I, I want to do the new. 
Right. Whatever, whatever the factory brings that's new, I want to do that. If I break stuff in the process, and there's a lot of warranty expense, that I'm, I'm uh, condemning the aftermarket in general. Uh, right. So my deal is, I'm not going to come to your house, have a fine dinner, and then go out in the kitchen and break all the plates. <laughs> I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to come to your house and I'll help you wash the dishes. Uh, so, so the bottom line is that's how I want to treat the OEMs and that's how I have always treated, treated the OEMs. That engine has to go the OEM expectation. It used to be 100,000 miles. Bo, what is it now? 150,000? What is it customer? Or more, yeah. Yeah. Now they're looking at 200, even 300. You know, and you have emissions equipment that's 125,000 mile warranty or better. Yeah. Uh, you can't screw with any of that, that stuff. Um, Hugh McInnes, who I mentioned earlier, uh, who he was chief engineer at TRW Turbo, they in infinite wisdom stopped making turbos. Hmm. I can't believe it. Uh, and sold the turbo enterprise to some guys at the Long Beach Air Airport who, who, did, who did aftermarket aircraft turbocharger called Ray J. Hmm. Hugh, Hugh went with the deal. He became the chief engineer at Ray J. So I, I went to him uh, for my first turbos. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to get that done. Uh, Hugh also helped me establish the EO program with the California Air Resources Board uh, in the late 70s. Uh, SEMA was not into that sort of thing at the time. And You said EO program? Yeah, the executive order, uh, the, the, the uh, permission to sell product in California that's, that's aftermarket and emissions uh, oriented. Uh, so Pontiac uh, had prior to the Firebird thing, they had sent me some Sunbirds in the late seventies and they had this cool uh, Brazilian made uh, or Ford, pardon me, GM of Brazil uh, four banger transverse front drive, and yeah. then wanted a power option, and then wanted a turbocharged. Um, I'm, I'm still in my speed shop in San Gabriel. Uh, we had prior done in 76, 77, the Volvo prototype, yeah. uh, which came out in, uh, oh, let me think. 80 in Europe, maybe 81 here. I wanted to ask you about these because I feel like for things that our listeners and readers probably know about, the Volvo turbos are definitely up there. And the fact that you were behind them is amazing. And that's where the uh, oxygen sensor came it, from, right? the Lambda sensor? That is, that's the selfish reason I did it. Oh, okay. You know, I knew that Bosch was working on the Lambda sensor. Uh I wanted to know about it. I was working with Jim Curry in, in the same time frame at GM on the detonation sensor. Right. So I built little Iron Duke four bangers uh, <laughs> with a variable boost setup from Jim's lab engines. Uh, uh, 
And that, that detonation sensor, the O2 sensor and the detonation sensor uh, were both on my prototype uh, Buick V6. The detonation sensor saved the Buick turbo program. Right. Wow. Wouldn't, wouldn't have happened without that. Um, so, and that came from your work with Volvo, right? From That's where you got access to it and were able to develop the it. The Lambda sensor, Volvo, and yeah. the GM tech center with a detonation sensor. Wow. Uh, in fact, I had a lab. Uh, I could vary the uh, calibration on the detonation sensor. It was kind of analog. Right. Uh, not a lot of integrated circuits or uh, uh, microprocessors back then. Sure. Uh, and if there were microprocessors, there were 8-bit. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what was the main theme here? Oh, we're, we're talking about um, John Rock. And, and let me get this, uh, finish this particular thread. Okay. Uh, he asked me to do two things, work with him on establishing a sport truck image for GMC. He wanted a, uh, he was aware of the California sport truck thing going on. I and, remember he, that. And, and, and he wanted to get out in front of Chevrolet on the sport truck image. Um, that, that evolved into the cyclone program at Bonneville um, he asked me, how do I get a performance image for a pickup truck? And, and I kind of told him, well, there, there's no NASCAR pickup trucks. There's no drag race pickup trucks. Um, but there is Bonneville. And everybody knows. Yeah. My grandma knew about speed. <laughs> uh, her, her opinion on speed was, Gail, that's too fast. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go to Bonneville with a pickup truck. So yeah. he, he just says, write me a white paper, do some illustrations. So I got with David Stollery, who, who had started Cal-T, the California Toyota Design Studio down in Laguna Beach, uh, formerly a GM stylist, studio chief for seven years. And he and I had done a mid-engine sports car called the Airx, American Roadster Experimental, real cab forward deal, uh, mid-engine twin turbo uh, for GM for, for display at the Detroit Auto Show. Uh, so he rendered out how, how the truck would look uh, right down to 20-inch wheels, which didn't exist at the time. And um, I did the you know, engine, uh, 502-inch big block, twin turbo. There oh. you are. There's the RX. That body, I'm going to wow. I have that body. Wow. You do? Yeah, yeah. You have There's this? Salary. We Is should that cool? this for our listeners before we move ahead. So picture, oh, my God. How, picture, How do you picture like, this? It's like a, a cab Ford design. There's a cold. <laughs> is that cab forward enough for you guys? It oh really goodness. is. Look at that. You're almost sitting. Your legs are on the front axle. Pretty legs much. are above the front axle. The rear tapers like a tongue <laughs> and it's like <laughs> sharp. 
And it's uh, this is an amazing looking thing for those of you not seeing this. You may have to Google this for full effect, but it is really absolutely remarkable. It's this so is amazing. And you still have the Airx? Is, is I have the I have the body. Uh, uh, Stollery wanted that logo, the Airx logo, which is a piece of granite. Yeah, so oh, yeah. We, we popped wow. it off for Stollery, but I'm gonna hang that that body from the ceiling in my South Engineering building soon oh let's run it one more time that looks like fun let's build the car well there's a couple there's the, the uh Stollery built one for him uh jack brown who did the suspension design uh he has one i don't have one i just have that body uh but that's so imagine cool. that in the uh i think it was a chevrolet display at the Detroit show. Uh, imagine that. I That's mean, amazing. back in, what was that, 87? Uh, awesome. Something like that. Yeah. So, anyhow. So these automakers would just come to you and uh, say, hey, here's a problem that we're trying to solve. Here's an image that we're trying uh, to exude. Uh, what Can you help us? Uh, I got to tell you, David, uh, I screwed with turbocharging real early mm -hmm. when no one else screwed with tur tur turbocharging. Uh, and I perfected the methodology. Uh, and uh, today we even make our own. Uh, I have a what I call a centerline turbo. Uh, we're going to do a pilot run, about 50 of them. It, it's a motor... Uh, it's a price point turbo that's got all the, all the efficiency you can possibly imagine uh, at a reasonable price, and it packages well. There, there's a little, there's a little Banks Power commercial. There we go. <laughs> that's what we're here for. Yeah. So <laughs> through the boating business, this is it. Through the seventies. And also through the, the 80s, as we're winding down the marine business and bringing up the diesel truck business, um, we sold marine engines. I had an agent, uh, Matin Kanak in Istanbul. Uh, he repped our engines and he also owned a shipbuilding company there. His son uh, still runs it. Um, uh, in New, New Zealand, in Christchurch, uh, the family that invented the marine jet drive, the Hamiltons. Uh, I raced, raced with them, uh, world-class river racing, uh, which is multi-day events generally. Uh, and from 76 through 80, we, we won five world championships uh, doing that. Amazing. I was building credibility, offshore, mm -hmm. offshore racing, APBR, offshore mm -hmm. racing. Uh, we won uh, in the sport class. We won uh, the national championship, APBA, and set the kilo record at Key West that year. Uh, and then Mercury Marine, uh, didn't know how to do it. Um, I was helping them with turbocharging, but they 
leverage some political weight uh, uh, along with our competitors and got turbocharging banned in APBA racing for all, almost 30 years. Wow. Yeah, literally. Uh, if you look, uh, I did a project, uh, uh, drag, a dragster and a funny car. Uh, one of Prudhomme's uh, Firebird funny cars. Uh, and um, uh, the dragster that uh, Gary Beck qualified, top qualifier at, at the 86 Winter Nationals, we got that chassis and a, part, a partner uh, from, uh, I partnered up with a guy from Canada on that car. We called it the, what did we call the damn thing? Anyhow, uh, I went to uh, talk to Wally Parks, who was the founder of NHRA about it, and Graham Light, who was his national technical director. Uh, I, I want to bring turbocharging into NHRA. Wally was aware of what I was doing. Wally and I were friends. And um, he said, Gail, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that you're going to run turbocharging and top fuel. Wow. <laughs> he said, nobody else knows how to do it. Uh, and I can't have one guy win winning all the national events. It'd be ridiculous. Wow. Turbocharging, turbocharging in top fuel and funny cars it is banned in the NHRA rule book to this day. Holy crap. <laughs> that seems crazy. It feels like now there would be enough, the knowledge is disseminated enough that you were too far ahead that they actually had to outlaw yeah. you just to make things fair. That's, but, that's pretty ridiculous. But, but <laughs> the first time I went to Detroit, I thought God lived in Detroit. <laughs> now, Bo, you and I know better, don't we? Uh, so what are you confused him with Dave? I, when I got there, <laughs> I was buying engines of speed 1969. Uh, I was buying engines for my marine builds out of Tonawanda engine plant in New York and Flint engine plant in, uh, and Toluca in, in Mexico. Um, uh, and, uh, I got to know the guys at GM and, by extension, I got to know the guys at Ford and Chrysler. And, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Tight network. You know, what a career. I mean, I, so. Gail, I have to say, going back and just hearing your life is like, well, first of all, it's inspiring. <laughs> uh, it, second of all, it makes me feel like I just wasted my whole youth by, uh, <laughs> by probably playing video games and, yeah. and watching TV and too much of that crap. Instead of out back fixing more cars, which is what I should have been doing. Well, you, wow, just the industries that you've touched, your, uh, what you've done to the OEMs as well as the aftermarket is just, well, it's, it's history. I mean, it, it's just, it's an honor to be speaking with you, sir, and to hear uh, the, the impact that you've made on in our industry is, is not only unquestionable, but it's, uh, it, it's huge. It, it you can't say too much about it. Well, okay. I, uh, I'm just been going on and on about it. It's, <laughs> well, that's what we're here for. We want to hear it from yeah, you. That's why I want to let you just, can just I, hear all that, uh, uh, that knowledge and wisdom through the years. Can I ask you one strange question uh, before we, if we wrap up here? Samantha, oh yeah. 
I heard you talk about when I talked to you about 10 years ago. This is out of left field, but I heard a story that there was a period of time when you were younger, you were kind of broke, you had no food, and a friend of you, a friend of yours gave you a case of like diet drink stuff. It's so actually Seago. Yes, Seago. Just yeah. tell Seago. Well, how do you spell that? S-E-G-O, I think. It's long gone Cigo. from the market. Cigo. Probably drink. for the reason. Is it a drink? If you could Google it, yes, it was a nutritional meal replacement. Oh, this? Diet, diet food. Liquid diet food. It says food. It says diet food. Liquid yeah. well, diet I, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I drank that stuff <laughs> wow. for about a week and a half. <laughs> and that's like what I was eating. Right? And I loved it, the chocolate flavor and this and that, and vanilla. So then I blossomed out with giant blemishes. Oh, <laughs> like, no. oh my God. Oh, my God. Does it give you PTSD to look at that Sago logo again? Oh. <laughs> so the, the takeaway here is this is not a replacement for food. If you're in a dare. <laughs> exactly. I was malnourished. Yeah, God. You know, if it has to tell you it's food on the label, that's that's a bad start. Uh, that's a tell, isn't it? Yeah, that it's is sure, it really right is. There. Don't worry. This is food. You can eat this. <laughs> well, we assure you. Uh, is the company still in business? It can't I, be. I don't think so. I think uh, what is this vintage advertising diet liquid imitation chicken tomato? Oh, <laughs> oh, did oh yeah. How did, how did I miss that? <laughs> yeah, you just had the chocolate. There right? it is in the bowl. Yeah. Wow. Diet oh food. Yeah, yeah. For the people watch, listening in, uh, there's two cans of this stuff named Sago. It just says diet food, and one's labeled chicken and one tomato, and it just sounds terrifying. But you lived on chicken, chocolate, right, Gail? Chicken flavored. Yeah, chicken flavored. <laughs> yeah. The, the delicious chicken flavored milkshakes that we all love. That's what it is. <laughs> That's actually what it is. Oh. Oh, God. And on yeah. that note. <laughs> all right. Well, I just wanted to confirm that story, so I, I certainly Yeah. Living that horrible memory. <laughs> I was going to Cal Poly and not selling oh. it. I hadn't sold an engine for quite a while at that point. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Hey, thank God for cup of noodles. That's all I got to say. Oh, no know? kidding. <laughs> uh, long, long way from having to drink. Uh, which, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Well, Gail, it's been an honor, sir. We, uh, we, we so enjoyed it. We love you. We love what you do. And, uh, and thank you for uh, all you've done for this industry. Absolutely. It's fascinating. The old, you know, the only response I have to you guys is thank you uh, for having me on the podcast. But, but secondly, um, I'm not done. All right. Yes. That's so I'd love to hear. <laughs> of course you're not. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Great. Well, everybody, we'll look forward we'll keep to keep it going. From Gail David. Bennett. Jason, Bo, thanks for increasing my heart rate. <laughs> <laughs> you did ours I, as I well. That. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. All right. That was a, a great conversation with an absolute legend. Uh, yep. We learned 
he basically grew up in this like wrench topia. Uh, yeah. You had holy moly, is this guy an utopian or what? And beyond yeah. what you would normally think, he was making basically Jeez. drone drone lawnmower systems back in the early fifties with surplus World War II parts, and that's that's astounding. Who did that? Gail Banks did. That's just Gail insane. Oh. oh my gosh, an electric trash taker outer using I yeah. don't even know. And yeah. he won he won the sign fair. That's all that matters. Really, honestly, when we introduced him, we really should have said. 1950 whatever science fair winner gail banks it's true there's some kid who came in second place with one of those volcanoes who's probably still bitter out there listening right now uh, <laughs> yeah, hey yeah, i right. get that volcano my dad stay up till 3 a.m uh, well that was uh, fun guys now we got the eliano show so get your asses to la that's right we're gonna have a party for everyone who can show up and there'll be details on the utopian it's gonna be what else will there be at the barrow. party torch I heard there's going to be a wheelbarrow full of shrimp. A barrel of shrimp. Yeah, a barrel of shrimp. We'll see. Uh, okay. Hopefully, well. it's not uh, it's not too stank by the time uh, afternoon rolls around. <laughs> it's free shrimp. What are you complaining about? Imagine if, if wow. we, imagine if we're we going to leave it out in the sun. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm yeah. just kidding, by the way. Jeez, good. don't take me so seriously. Yeah, and uh, we'll be doing our podcast from the show as well. So yes. uh, expect to he- expect to listen to a podcast from the Ellie Auto Show. We're hoping to meet some uh, some interesting folks. We can rope into that podcast there at the Auto Show. Awesome! It's gonna be a blast. And until then, sign up, sign up, subscribe, all that. Thank you very much.